0: This episode sponsored by Internet Paycheck Gentlemen,
1: start your engines. Here's uh, about
2: Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I'm not a crook. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan. Fire.
1: You're listening to Jim Paris Live, your source for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness. And now your host the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than
0: 30 books, Jim Paris. All right, welcome to our guest segment. Of course, a couple of weeks ago at Easter, we replayed our Barry Schwartz interview about the Shroud of Turn and we just got a huge response from it even though the audio quality was not so good because I was working with a, a copy of a copy of the audio from back in the day when I was on uh, the radio network and a uh, gentleman reached out to me I don't know if he's a regular listener to the show or not but he sent me a bunch of information and I've been going through it the last week or so his name is Joseph Marino he has a degree in theology from St. Louis University and uh, he is a long time what they call Syndenologist, which is somebody that studies the Shroud of Turin. He also has two books out. If you go to Amazon, he has two books out on the topic of the Shroud of Turin. And uh, Joseph Marino, good to have you with us tonight for the first time, sir. Hi, Jim. <clears throat> Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, so how did how did we connect? Did, are you a regular listener to the show? Because I loved all this information you started sending. Uh-
1: well, um, no, I kind of hunt the Internet for, um, n- you know, new videos and whatnot, articles and whatnot. And I have a, a mailing list, email okay. list that I send uh, information to. And um, I I mentioned uh, the video you did with uh, Barry Schwartz and, and Dr. Gary Habermas, both of who are friends of mine. Oh, great. So um, – once I caught your name, I thought, well, maybe he'd be interested in seeing some of this. Yeah. New information well, I'm, so- I'm retired now. And I, I pretty much do it full time.
0: Great. Well, I'm so glad that you connected with me and, uh, uh, actually Dr. Habermas is coming on next week too. Cause he reached out to me and asked about being on uh, the show recently. Cause that was from like five years ago. I came up with this idea of replaying that, that, that whole, uh-huh. uh, that whole you know thing we did one week with him. And then we did one week with Barry Schwartz. Do you know Barry Schwartz or you just know of him?
1: Oh yeah. Barry and I are good friends.
0: Okay, good, good. So we're all within the same circle now. Uh, To me, this whole idea of that we could actually have the burial cloth of Christ, it just it gives me chills. It is I know people are going to think I'm crazy. It is probably the most exciting thing I have ever heard of. I have never been to the Holy Land myself, which I plan to do someday. Mm -hmm. But the idea that that we could actually have the burial cloth of Christ just blows my mind. Uh, for people not familiar with the Shroud, tell us a little bit about the history. When did we uh, discover? When was it discovered? Um, how long has, you know, who's who's in control of it? Where is it right now? Those kind of things. Okay.
1: Well, <clears throat> historically, we know where it's been since about the 1350s when it was um, exhibited in France. And it ended up in the uh, hands of a French knight named Geoffrey de Charny, and there's several different versions of how he came to the cloth. But um, there's a plausible history that can be uh, constructed uh, going back to the first century Jerusalem. Um, in fact, we, we know that there's um, pollen on the shroud from Jerusalem. There's limestone from Jerusalem. So there's, there's good scientific evidence evidence that the shroud at some point was was in fact this in the city where jesus was crucified um there are two cloths um actually it's one cloth known by two different names in the early centuries there was something called the image of edessa and um it it's believed that um it was hidden in some city wall in the city walls to to protect it um from a big flood, and it was uh, rediscovered about 525, and after it was rediscovered, the art uh, of Jesus's face kind of started mirroring what we see on the Shroud face. Uh, and then in, in 944, it was taken uh, to Constantinople, and it uh, became known as the Mandillion, and then it was there uh, in Constantinople until, until about 1204 when um, it was stolen during the, the Fourth Crusade. And then it sort of disappeared for about 150 years, but it was probably uh, in the hands of, of a group called the Knights Templar. Hmm. And then um, Geoffrey de Charny was uh, a, a knight in the mid-1300s, and he was a descendant of one of the um, people that had taken part in the the sack of Constantinople in 1204. So then um, it was exhibited around 1350 and um, it stayed in France for a while and it was taken to uh, Turin in 1578 and has been there ever since. Which is, uh, for people that
0: don't know, that's northern Italy, right? We're talking about northern Italy. And is that under the control of the Catholic Church?
1: Um, Yes. uh, Turin is about 350 miles northwest of um, Rome near the French border. And up until 1983, it was owned by um, the House of Savoy. And in his will, he left it to the um, living pope. And that was the, the will was finalized in 1985. So the Catholic Church has owned it since 1985.
0: Now, do I'm trying to remember this, but I, I think when I was a child growing up in Chicago, that there was a time where you could go, and I think it was to the Field Museum, uh, the History Museum in downtown, that they actually brought the Shroud. Because I remember people talking about this. Has the Shroud been presented around the world in these types of exhibitions?
1: Um, no, those are always um, replicas uh, that you see in the various cities. Uh, uh, the, the Shroud itself has never been outside of Turin except for um like I say, a few years in World War II when it was taken out to okay. uh, protect it from, because hit, Hitler was looking for it, so they they moved it to a Benedictine monastery in Montevergine. What, what would Hitler, uh, have, what, what would Hitler have
0: wanted with, with the shroud?
1: Well, he was very much into the occult. He was uh, he wanted uh, the, the the supposed lance that had pierced Jesus because they believed that those sorts of objects would give, you know, uh, unlimited power to the to people that possessed them. And um, they sent some soldiers in uh, searching in, in the monastery where it was. And it was literally just a few feet away. And um, the head... You know, the head officer uh, told his soldiers not to disturb the, the the monks that were praying. They were really close, but they didn't get to it.
0: Wow. Now, if if you if, uh, you know, I've been to Italy many times. I've been in, in Turin. I've never actually gone there to look for the shroud, but. Is there a place that, like, I could physically go to where the shroud is and I could see it, like, through a glass case or something? Or is it just totally locked away from public view?
1: Um, it's basically locked away. You could go in the church where it's housed. Um, but it's in a container, but you really, you know, you really can't see it. It's all kind of... Um, contained within it's got gas you know argon gas and you know it's not actually visible but there is a museum just uh, several blocks from there that has good you know photos and and uh, memorabilia and different things related to the shroud so that's your best bet if you go to turin
0: i can get uh, a next exhibition uh, i went will- to italy and all i got was this shroud of turin t-shirt from that shop, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no, yeah, I, 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 you'll, you, you probably don't like my sense of humor about such a serious topic, but uh, I, it keeps it keeps me going. In any case, uh, yeah. so I know what, a lot of what your focus is, and we're going to get into that now, is sort of being a defender of the claims that the shroud is not legitimate. Now, I know that over the years there have been a lot of different ways that people have tried to authenticate as well as to debunk the shroud Uh, as it stands right now today. And then we'll work our way backwards. Is there any kind of a consensus within uh, the archaeological science community about the authenticity one way or the other of the shroud?
1: Um. My answer is it's somewhat nuanced. It's, okay, so the people that have been studying the shroud for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and there are quite a few of those in that group, um, pretty much all believe it's authentic. The, the people that have not studied it very much in our mainline and are quite frankly partly afraid of their yeah. reputation if they say if they come out and say the shroud's authentic they tend to say it's not authentic. But the people that have devoted the most amount of time to it and have looked at every aspect, and I I have certainly looked at every aspect of this over 44 years and have read every major thing out there, um, the evidence is very, very strong. And in fact, um, people should know that the Shroud is literally the most intensely studied Artifact in human history In terms of the amount of hours put into it Not just religious relic But any artifact Wow! It's the most studied Artifact ever And I maintain That if it was a fake um, It would have been Definitively discovered by now The, the STERP team, which is the Shroud of Turin Research project That studied it in 1978 Those guys were in the U.S. space and nuclear programs. They were not dummies. They didn't go over there thinking that they were going to be befuddled by it, but they absolutely were. And they spent years collating the data, and um, they concluded the image was not the product of an artist.
0: Now, let let me uh, go to this question because – One of the things I love talking about with uh, Dr. Habermas was the whole issue of the historicity of Christ, because there's now uh, sort of this growing movement of people that claim that Christ was not a real person and didn't really live, even though there's such a large body of evidence proving that Christ actually was a real person that did live. Now, whether or not you then believe that he was the son of God, that he was crucified and resurrected. That's a separate question. But, but to start with the fact that he actually was a real person, is it possible, uh, for someone, uh, Joseph, to accept that, okay, this is a shroud. This is, uh, someone that was buried and wrapped in this. But maybe I'm not so convinced, even if it was Jesus that that means anything that is okay. A guy named Jesus claimed to be the son of the son of God. Uh, he died, was wrapped in this cloth that we now have recovered. Uh, I can be okay with authenticating this as that cloth without also taking everything else that might go along with it in terms of, you know, believing in Christianity. Is that possible? Or is this cloth uh, such a a, a loaded, um, it's got so much about it that once you go down that road, you're just, you're in hook, line, and sinker to the whole Jesus story, including death and resurrection. Help me understand that.
1: Yeah, well, let's go to our friend Barry, who's who's Jewish, and uh, he believes the shroud's authentic, but he doesn't go that final step that a lot of us do and say, um, okay, it looks like the image was caused by what we know as the resurrection. He has stopped short of that, and and so you get people with differing views, and that's you know that's human nature. We all see things from different perspectives and whatnot. Um, but Barry, you know, publicly proclaims he's not a Messianic Jew. He's not a Christian. He's, he's just, he's Jewish and he believes that the shroud's authentic based on the scientific evidence, but doesn't believe, uh, in the divinity of Jesus. Um, and so I, yeah, Barry is a good example of somebody who, who didn't go, um, you know, every, every step of the way.
0: The reason I ask that is because... I would just speculate that the reason why maybe the larger scientific uh, community doesn't sign on to this is maybe at least perception wise they think that that would then send them down this tunnel that they are an evangelical Christian by the mm-hmm. mere fact mm-hmm. that they endorse this so they have a a bias against confirming the auth- authenticity of it yes. Is that, is that fair? That. Let, let me
1: tell. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you a little story. of Something I learned recently. Um, so the shroud uh, report that was done by the C fourteen labs came out in Nature magazine from our Nature journal, I should say, in England in February 1989. And um, in my C fourteen book, I I note several peculiar things that happened um, with the scientists um, submitting their report. And, and one of them was kind of shocked to, to learn that the, their paper was accepted before one line was even written, which is just very weird. Um, and they, once they started writing the report, they were sending to Nature drafts of it, which is very odd. You don't do that in peer-reviewed literature. Um just within the last month or so I heard a podcast by a uh English scientist who wrote an article in Nature in 1983 5 years before the uh carbon dating and the t- the uh article title was In the Crucifixion". Now there was n- no theology whatsoever in this article. It was simply trying to determine the exact date of the historical figure named Jesus of Nazareth. He told a story on the podcast that the editor, chief editor of Nature, a guy by the name of a John Maddox, was so anti-Christian that he tried to keep the article from being published, even though there was... No theology in it whatsoever, but it got rave reviews from the people that reviewed it, and uh, the uh, a lower tier editor convinced them to uh, to run the article. But that gives you an idea of the the fear of
0: Jesus possibly being right. What that does to people, and I'll tell you, there's there's even a fear of people. Uh, accepting that Christ actually was a real person that lived. That is a big deal. And I refer people to the uh, the book by uh, Bart uh, Ehrman about uh, did Jesus exist? Uh, I mean, it's it's as uh, Dr. Habermas said, there is really no debate among legitimate scholars that Jesus actually was a real person. Now, the reason why I find that so significant is because – once you start down that road, and this is where I'm getting to with the shroud, once you start down that road that Jesus was a real person, now there's a lot of questions that have to be answered for those that dismiss the story of Jesus, because where is his body? <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's all these questions that come up once you start down that road. And now when you look at this, the shroud, and I want you to take a couple of minutes and tell us some of the most remarkable things about the shroud that can't be explained by by just normal science. Uh, the the the, the and, you know various characteristics of it that make this such an unusual uh, piece of fabric that that you can't wrap your brain around how these things happened to this cloth.
1: Yeah, it's got uh, a lot of interesting uh, characteristics and and probably the main one that people first became aware of was the photo negativity aspect. Um so when you look at the shroud with the naked eye, you could tell it's the it's the front and back images of a man and you can see what appears to be blood stains, but it's it's not crystal clear to the eye. So in 1898, um, on the occasion of a, a wedding of, of a member of the House of Savoy, they, they brought out the shroud for an exhibition, and they allowed photographs to be taken. Now, photography was only invented in about the 1860s, so it was only about 30 years old at the time. They hired an amateur um, photographer named Secundo Pia, to take some pictures. And, of course, in in those days, it wasn't digital. It was the old style where you uh, took a picture of glass plates and you, you know, had to develop it. And he was shocked when he developed um, negative because on his negative, the image appeared lifelike, which means it, it looked positive. So the image on the shroud is like is 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 kind of like a photo negative right on the cloth because when you take a negative of it you get a positive wow. so that's what really jump started the scientific investigation of the shroud And that's what got people really interested in it.
0: Joseph, we're starting to Um, lose your audio just a little bit. I don't know if you can get a little closer to the mic or if anything has changed. But I want to make sure people understand what you just said. So, So in the very beginning days of photography, not knowing what they would find, uh, they they took a picture, several pictures of this, and it turned out that th- the negative became a positive, and the negatives they were using actually showed like what the face would look like of the person that was wrapped in that shroud, and it it would have been so remarkable because it would almost been like the ultimate magic trick. I mean, who would have thought? That that would have been the outcome of a, of a picture of it, that the negative would become a positive. It, just remarkable. And you're saying that, that is what started sort of this, this incredible fascination with what, uh, what this, uh, this fabric was. Now we come into more recent times. Uh, That's the early days of photography. But there are also some other things that we're able to learn about it with more recent technology that make it remarkable. And and what are some of those things?
1: Uh, Okay, then then the next big thing would have been around 1976 when some Air Force uh, researchers uh, put a picture of the shroud in something called the VP8 Image Analyzer, uh, which was, you know, high tech at that time, but it's pretty much outdated. Um, you know, they've got bigger and better versions of that, uh, on your computer nowadays. Uh, and, and they were as, as shocked as the, uh, photographer in 1898 because when they put the picture in the, the analyzer, which is meant to, um, look at like three dimensional photographs of the planets and whatnot. The picture came out three-dimensional, which just shocked them because, you know, it's a 2D photo, right? and they didn't expect to find three-dimensional or spatial encoding is really the more accurate term, but people just kind of say 3D. So that was the thing that really jump-started the start of the scientific team. That went to Turin in 1978 which was about 40 mostly American scientists uh, they put together a team and um, once they got to Turin and and had had the cloth five days around the clock one of the most amazing things to them was to discover that the image uh, was only on the top several thousands of an inch of the fibers so like one thread is made up of like 200 or so um, microfibers, and the image is only on the top one or two microfibers. Now, there's there's no technology today that can can do that. Um, so you got the neg- photo negativity, the three dimensionality or spatial encoding, and you got the superficiality. Those are kind of the three big. Uh, uh, features that right off the bat says this thing is not normal,
0: is there any uh idea or theory? obviously we're talking about if we believe this was Jesus's burial cloth. We know the biblical account is that he was resurrected, and uh you could just imagine what happened in that moment was a supernatural thing, but does anyone have a speculation as to what caused the image to to appear in the fabric? Is, is it speculated that it was some kind of a bright light? I know you're saying we can't uh, simulate that today, but 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 if we could, like, what's the closest thing we could say mm. caused the image to? Is it burned in there with with just a like a laser type of light? What would it be?
1: Yeah, actually I've got a very good answer for you. There's some Italian scientists uh that um worked for about five years using something called an um, ultraviolet eczema laser, and they got a piece of control cloth and they zapped the cloth forget this, one forty billionth of a second, and they were able to approximate the depth penetration and coloration uh, of the shroud. Now, the caveat for that is that to do a whole image, front and back image like that, there's not enough energy on planet Earth to do that now. So, it seems to be a short uh, burst of radiation of some kind. Some people like the light theory, Um, but that those experiments by the Italian scientists do point, I think, toward a supernatural, um, mechanism.
0: And, and the, the body of, of Jesus, assuming this was his burial cloth, um, this would be, would this be like strips of cloth that are wrapped and wrapped and wrapped and wrapped kind of like what you see with a mummy? Or is this like a big sheet that he's wrapped up in? No, the, even, the, even the Egyptians um, had
1: stopped wrapping uh, like uh, the mummy style by the first century. So uh, the Jews wrapped – there were several different types of cloths that the Jews uh, at that period wrapped um, the dead in. And it would include normally include a long linen cloth, a shroud, um, and it would also include probably like a face cloth. A separate face cloth which John mentions in his gospel and then they would also use some strips to like bind the the, um, the hands and the feet so that's one of the um, interpretations of the word strips in some of the, the gospels but they he certainly was not wrapped as a mummy and that face cloth um, we, there's a cloth in Oviedo Spain that's, that's been there since uh, 619 AD called the Sidorium of Oviedo And that's believed by many uh, shroud researchers to be the face cloth mentioned in uh, John 26, 7.
0: Now, you know, obviously people have a lot of different opinions on this and who is in that burial cloth. But describe to us what we know about who is in that burial cloth. What was what were the physical characteristics? Do we know do we know approximate height? Do we know what the injuries were? How much detail do we have of the injuries that uh, that that uh, Jesus or whoever was in that that uh, cloth uh, ha- had uh, endured? Uh, obviously, it, it appeared to be clear that it was a cru- crucifixion. Uh, but there were some unique things about this that would not be just a part of a normal crucifixion. Isn't that right?
1: Sure, that's correct. Um there's there's some variations in the the height and the weight um, estimations, but uh, generally he was probably about 5'10 and 175 pounds. Um, people that study racial characteristics say he was a Semitic Jew. Um, it shows uh, a crown of thorns, really a cap of thorns. We, we're in, in art, you usually see kind of a circlet, but that's not how it was. It, it was kind of like a bush kind of smashed down all all over his the top of his head and i want to stop you on the Um, crown of
0: i want to stop you you on the crown of thorns because that right there that is not a normal part of a crucifixion isn't that right right that would be unique to jesus to the to the gospel account of the crown of thorns continue on
1: absolutely yeah and then there is a piercing in the side um normally crucifixion victims had their legs broken uh, the man in the shroud does not have his legs broken. He has a piercing in the side, which, uh, matches to the gospel. And, uh, the man in the shroud has severe scourging, which, ra- uh, matches to a Roman flagrum. And what's odd about that is that, uh, crucifixion victims were normally only lightly scourged because scourging was such a, uh, a, a bad, um, treatment that people could die from scourging and if you were a roman soldier and you were supposed to crucify somebody and you scourged somebody and they died in the scourging guess what you get the death penalty wow so um but but if you read the gospels we remember that jesus had Pilate scourge severely hoping that that would be enough to satisfy their bloodlust and they let him go but Pilate was fooled because they still wanted him to die. So we have a severely scourged man and crucified. So you got the crowning of thorns, which is unique. You got the piercing in the side, which is instead of the breaking of the legs and you got the severe scourging. So everything matches exactly to the, to the gospels.
0: Wow. That's just, this is just giving me chills. I, this is just incredible. Um, now, I want to open up the phone lines in our last few minutes here. If you're watching right now and you have a question about the Shroud of Turner, maybe you have a disagreement or you want to, you know, throw something out that uh, would maybe contradict some of what we've said tonight. Uh, here you go. Uh, 646-716-4041 worldwide. Uh, that's a U.S. number. So whatever you've got to do to get to the U.S. first, 716 Four zero four one, And uh, we'll also take some questions by email. Jim at Christian dot com. Jim at Christian dot com. Email questions or call right now. Six, four, six, seven, one, six, four, zero, four, one. Joseph, let's be fair now. And let's talk about uh, as the calls are coming in what what would you say is the top one or two best critiques or or weaknesses in the argument that this is the shroud of uh, of Jesus uh what 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 uh are the uh, naysayers saying uh, these days
1: um i'd i'd say the big two the two biggest ones are that there's no strong history before 1350 um and I would just counter that immediately by saying, you know, you got uh, objects in museums all over the world where they didn't know where it was every single second. Right. Um, it, it, it should be pointed out that the, the, the apostles, when they saved the cloth, would not have been parading it around because it was an impure object and the Romans would have destroyed it. So it's not surprising, I think, that the, the cloth was hidden for many years, and then it would only be in the hands of a select few for for centuries and centuries. So that could explain um, kind of the lack of a, of a good history. Uh, the second one is the uh, 1988 C14 dating results, which put the cloth at 1260 to 1390. And um, when that came out, I had been studying the shroud for 11 years at that point, and um, I, I knew too much at that point already to say there's something wrong with that C14 test. So I've been, you know, intently studying it, um, since that date came out. And in last November, I came out with an 800 page book exposing a lot of the politics, egos, and agendas that went on. And they, there was not a search for the truth. It was, it was just, um As I say, uh, the, the C-14 labs were interested in pushing their new method of, of C-14, which was called AMS and was only about 11 years old at the time and was untested on um, textiles. And after the results came out, um, the C-14 industry came, became a multi-billion dollar industry. And um, in addition to my 800-page book, I've also got a page on my website for additions and corrections, and I've already added about 75 new entries because I knew I was going to keep finding more information. Um, and what isn't one so of the issues too that there
0: that there were some repairs made to the shroud, and that this the carbon dating may have picked up an earlier date simply because of those more recent pieces of fabric that were later added. Yes,
1: yes. my late wife wife and I uh, did a lot of research on that, and um, a lot of the information on that is is. Um, uh, listed or uh, mentioned in my first book wrapped up in the shroud uh and there's also information on that in in my second book as well but there's good indication because they uh they found a spliced thread of cotton and, and linen the sh- the shroud's only linen but the area from where they took the C14 sample has um cotton in it which mean they found dye and um gum uh, you know, which are indications of, of an actual repair. So, um, there's, there's a good indication that, um, they had a bad sample, which, uh, partially, you know, explains, um, why they came up with that. 1260 to 1390
0: date very good and your books are on amazon people can type in your name joseph marino they can find the books there let's go to chicago our first caller uh say hello to joseph marino and what is your question tonight about the shroud of Turin?
2: hi joseph um so here's my question uh years ago i thought it's been so long i can't remember i think it was on either history channel or discovery channel um they did a, a show about the shroud of turn uh, the the conclusion that this um person put on the this program was that because of how the how you know Jesus's face would be wrapped in the shroud that actually when you would see the image it would be you know, because Um, how how it would be wrapped his eyes would be like stretched out to the side that it wouldn't look like a a perfect face and then they said well then what must have happened is they said someone must have put together I think they said like clay plates flat clay plates and they impressed the shroud on those and made the image and that's how you have like this perfect face not this face where it's you know kind of Looks abnormal because it would have wrapped around, you know, the roundness of the of the of the skull on the face.
1: Right. Uh, they they have done they have tried all sorts of artistic methods, and none of them work. If you get the physics right, the chemistry's wrong, and vice versa. Um, the best explanation, and which fits w- with the radiation, is that um, the radiation came out. Like every pore of the of vi- uh, the body, in a vertically collimated way, um, and that explains why there's no distortion um, in the image. There's just tons of uh, articles about that, and uh, I I always try to uh, warn people about getting too much of their information about the shroud from TV programs because you got to remember sure. that's. Uh, entertainment, uh, your best sure. bet is to, um, go to shroud, to, uh, peer-reviewed articles on, and the best site to find that is shroud.com. That's Barry Schwartz's site. You can spend the, the rest of your life there. Uh, they have all sorts of, uh, articles pertaining to the image formation and, um, you can get a lot of great information there.
0: Very good. Thank okay, you so much for you. that call. And uh, one one or two more callers here if you want to jump on board quickly. 646-716-4041. Uh, let's get to some email questions. Uh, somebody wants to know, is there DNA? Uh, you know, with all the things we can do with DNA, I mean, c- could it? Could we possibly have the DNA of Jesus Christ on that cloth where we could actually do a DNA test? Uh, they
1: have done some research in that area but the problem is the DNA is is too degraded and um, we don't have a you know a DNA DNA profile of Jesus in the first place so a lot of a lot of people have touched the cloth and leaned over it so a lot of people's DNA is on is on the cloth and it would be hard to separate it out in the first place but it's it's basically it's it's all if it was Jesus DNA it would it would just be too too degraded and there is, there's no chance of, um, you know, making a clone of Jesus from that.
0: Okay. Now, the, the, yeah, that's a, that's, that's an interesting, like, the clone of Jesus. I've heard that, I've heard that idea as well. Um, th- this, this is another good question. Uh, do, do you find any Christians that dismiss the Shroud of Turin? And, and I, I was listening to some teaching tapes by, uh, Chuck Missler. I don't know if you know uh, Chuck Missler. Mm-hmm. He's he's deceased now, but uh, I'm
1: aware of him. Yeah, yeah. So
0: I was listening to some teaching tapes of, from Chuck Missler, and he made a sort of an offhandy comment about about the shroud, and 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 the implication was uh, at the time when he was doing this this teaching, which was probably 20 years ago, that uh, look it, Christians could like put a lot of faith in the shroud being legitimate and then it could be debunked later and many could like lose their their way following christ i i I find that implausible but but at the same time I, i i understand that that idea do you find any christians that are taking that position like look let's not put too much stock in this because if this turns out to be like Y2K, all of a sudden millions could you know, leave the faith because they thought the Shroud was real and then it wasn't. And now they've lost their faith.
1: Sure. I agree with you 100 percent on that. Um, you know, I, I don't think the Shroud by itself is is um, the only reason somebody becomes a Christian. You know, it it doesn't exist in a vacuum. I think it's one more piece of evidence. And um, I think there's enough uh, strong evidence to support it. And, you know, I I think it has to stay in context. Nobody worships the cloth. Nobody prays to the cloth. But yes, there are a lot of Christians that, um, because of their own personal denomination or whatever, whatever theological... Mm-hmm. leanings they have or whatever are very wary of the of the shot. and um, i can kind of understand that but you know i'm with you i i was so excited when you said you just you get chills and you, you don't think it's the most it's the greatest thing on earth because that's i that's always been my position i read a fiction novel a couple of years ago where the guy a character in the novel says i don't understand why everybody in the world is an obsessed on the Shroud of Turin, because that's me, you know? <laughs>
0: well, and and I um, you know, I have been known to cry on this show before. It hasn't happened often, but this is one of those topics where Wow. I mean, I if if this is really what it is, I mean, it gets right to my soul. I mean, the idea that we could have yeah. this, I mean it is I mean and maybe others don't it doesn't hit them that way. What what has this done, Joseph, for your faith? Yeah. Has this has this um Embolden your faith as this, you know. And I, let me tell you why I'm asking you that because it it, it is clearly no matter how uh, much you believe in Christ, no matter what you've seen in your life, miracles and answers to prayer. Uh, I think for for most people, cr- there's this line between. Like, we can't have anything. It's just all on faith. There, there's sort of that, that, mm-hmm. that, but, but then when you actually start looking into this and you find out that in history, there was a real person by the name of Jesus and something happened mm-hmm. to him. And when you see this, could this possibly be something physically that, that even that just Jesus touched, but no less that, that this could be, the cloth he was wrapped in before the resurrection, yeah. it just blows my mind. What what has this done it for is- your faith?
1: Well, I mean, I, like I said, I, I work pretty much full time on it. I, I got pictures all over my house. Um, there's not a day that I don't think about it or work on it or working on an article. or, um, You know, it's sort of like, you know, people have pictures of their— family uh on their desk they don't think it's the real person it's just a reminder right and i just have to believe that god left this for us in an age when you know images are so strong nowadays they speak speak to us now more than words and and i was was struck when you mentioned uh the fact that there's so many people out there now saying that Jesus never existed. You heard that a little bit here and there, but there's just been a torrent of those sorts of things uh, of that, of that view recently. And I think the shroud's an excellent antidote. If you can't disprove it, and, and I should say just explicitly, we will never prove a hundred percent that it wrapped Jesus. So it, it on that, point it it basically does still say stay in the realm of faith um but it's a it's a good antidote for uh you know we're expected to believe in an uh, unseen god but here is a an artifact that like you say may have wrapped the historical jesus in the tomb at the point of what we call the resurrection and that it, it is. It's just mind-blowing, blow- and it it's a constant in my life, and um, it it grounds my faith in in something historical. Because you know, Christianity is a historical religion, and I don't see why people would get upset that we might have a physical trace of the historical Jesus. He was a human being, and Things get left behind and saved, and and I I can't believe that the shroud, the, the apostles would have letn would have let the shroud get destroyed. Um, I think divine providence has um, helped to keep it down to our age because there's been it's been in several fires, and you know in two thousand years you would expect it to be lost or ripped up or destroyed or whatever yeah it's a a a miracle that
0: it's a miracle that we still have it and and honestly it 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 sounds it it has the i call it the ring of truth i don't know if it's real or not Uh, as you said we'll never know 100 percent. but it's it, it it would not shock me that it was real and that that god left this behind that this was jesus that this was part of the plan to like, you know, you know, these people is they show me something, give me, just give me a, 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 just a shred of evidence. Here it is. I mean, if you're looking for something mm-hmm. physical and I always tell people uh, before you, you know, uh, John Ankerberg used to say, when people would tell him they, that uh, they were an atheist, he would say, wow, you must be really smart uh, that you're an atheist, that you know everything because you'd have to know everything mm-hmm. about the entire universe and, and the history of everything, to be able to determine that there's right. no God. Now, now you, you kind of start with that, and you realize how ridiculous that is to be an atheist, so that yes. you move those people from atheism to agnosticism, where they say, well, okay, maybe there is a God, but I'll, I don't know who it is. I'll never know who it is, so maybe there's somebody up there, but I'm not really going to— Th- then you take those people from that, and you say, well, let's look at this possibility of Jesus, and let's—outside of the Bible— Let's start looking at the historical Jesus outside of the Bible, and you get them to that, and then you start asking them questions about, well, what happened to his body? He claimed he would die and be resurrected. If he didn't, he would have you know, the disciples would have gone back to their fishing and all the things they were doing. That they would have never continued on, and most likely died as as martyrs. And and Stephen and Paul and all of these stories. This would have there's once you start piecing this together, you you get to a point where you can no longer dismiss it. And it's not just Christian zealots; it's history and who this man was. Yes. And this cloth could mm-hmm. certainly be an incredible link that kind of puts the. Chain together for people, which is why I'm so excited uh, to keep talking about it. Absolutely, you get it, Jim. You get it. <laughs> yeah it's it's an amazing it's an amazing thing, and, and like you said, it's uh, it, it very well could be that thing that is another another. You know, our merciful God has given us just another piece of evidence for us to to consider to decide what we're going to do with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, uh, Joseph uh, Marino, for being here tonight. Tell us all about how people can uh, connect with you on, on social media or your websites and your books and all of that, because I know people are going to want to find out more.
1: Uh, well, I have a Facebook page for my second book uh, called the 1988 C-14 Dating of the Shroud of Turin, a stunning expose. Just put that in the search box. Um, you can email me at jmarino240 at aol.com. That's jmarino240 at aol.com. And um, as I told one of the callers, the, the caller, a great site, uh, to to check generally for uh, the Shroud is Barry uh, Schwartz's site, Shroud.com. That's an excellent source, and a lot of my papers can be found there. And um, when you go to Amazon, if you look for – the best way to check for both of my books is to put in my name, Joseph G. Marino, because I've got an older version of the first book, and that's still floating around. And I'd, I'd want people to get the, the revised and updated version of that second book. So put my full name, uh, Joseph G. Marino, in the search box on Amazon. And I hope I hear from people and uh, I hope uh, they can keep an open mind about the Shroud, do some of their own research. And um Uh, come to a better understanding of this this fabulous cloth
0: very good sir thank you so much for being with us and thank you for what you're doing it's uh it's really an inspiration it strengthens my faith and i'm sure makes a i'm sure you've reached tens of thousands for christ uh by the work that you're doing and so keep up the great work and we hope you come back again and visit soon
1: oh thanks jim i really enjoyed uh being with you and um and i am just so happy to hear your views on it because that they're so close to
0: to my own god bless sir thank you so much have a great night uh wow uh that uh, i tell you what i'm i'm my hands are shaking i'm not kidding you if that is that is just blows my mind can you believe it i mean if if that is the burial cloth of christ uh here i go i'm, I'm tearing up wow wow Thanks so much for joining us. Remember, if it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris Live. We'll talk to you next time. So long, everybody. ChumbaCasino.com. Jumba. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time